the story of Jonah. How God's love draws us closer to him. Creating space for forgiveness and grace as he pursues us with his relentless love. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I am super excited as we continue this series on the book of Jonah around the theme God's relentless love. Shout out to those of you watching from our in-person campus as well as uh, those of you who are watching us by way of online platforms from near and far. Thank you so very, very much. I'm super excited to jump into this teaching. Today we're starting with Jonah chapter 3, beginning with verses 1 through 5. Let's listen for what the Word of the Lord has to say to us today. But before we do, can somebody simply shout, time to change? Yeah, shout it out loud, time to change. All right. Okay, let's do our reading. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, somebody shout, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And then verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. There is the reading. Praise God. If you've been with us up until this point, I want to suggest that chapter 3, in so many ways, it crystallizes the entire point that this series has been moving towards. And the entire point that this series has been moving towards can essentially be captured in one word. Can somebody simply shout, change? Yes, change. And the question that I want you to grapple with, I think the question that God wants all of us to grapple with as we think about the journey that brought us here, as we think about the call from God through the storms of life, which simply says, are you reachable? As we think about how we've talked uh, through what it means to respond as God is tugging on our hearts, as we've, as we've gone to two or three, uh, to three of our really closest friends, the, the, the assignment I gave last weekend, and kind of asked them, you know, what is one thing that I can do to move to the next level? It's all been moving towards this basic call towards change. And here's the question. What do I need to change in my life? No matter how holy or how mature or how great you are, how educated or wealthy or not you are, this is a question for all of us. Preacher, person in the pew, me, you. God is challenging us. What do I need to change in my life? This whole chapter 3 is about change. Change. Yeah. You know, Jonah has been in the belly of this gigantic fish going through unimaginable circumstances for three, year, for, three, for three days. And then finally the order is given and he spit out on the, on the seashore. And then 
we hear these words. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And what happens? This time, unlike the first time in chapter 1 when God spoke to him and told him to go to Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. Somebody shout, this time. This time, the text says, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. We see a change in Jonah's mind and a change in Jonah's direction. Can someone shout change? And then Jonah shows up, verse 4, he shouts to the crowd the message that God has given him. You know, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Essentially, the implications is you ought to repent, even though he could care less about them repenting. And then we are shocked and stunned at the response in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And what do they do? They change. Improbable as it was, as impossible as, as, as we would have expected for it to be, this, this great city, this wicked city of Nineveh changes. The text says that from the greatest to the least, they declare a fast, they put on burlap to show their sorrow. And in verse 10, makes it super clear that there's real change, real change when it says, when God saw not only what they did, but when he saw them turn from their evil ways, improbable, some thought impossible, but shout change, change, it was change. And then we see change being modeled even by God. So from verse 1 to coming to a, a, a culminating point in verse 10, what does it say as, as, as it says? It says, God relented. In other words, he changed what he, was, what he, was, what he had said he was going to do. God relented and did not bring upon the people that which the destruction that he had threatened to bring upon them. Can somebody say change? This passage is about change. And if you're listening to this message, here's what I ultimately believe. It's not by accident, it's by providence. This is a providential moment where God is reaching out through me to you, and he's saying very, very powerfully, you may have been struggling with some particular area of change in your life, not just for months, but for years. For that person who has found it almost impossible to break the power of addiction, for that person who has found it improbable to move from no routine to a healthy exercise and eating routine, to that person who has just given up on moving from the bottom of the grades that you earned last semester to moving towards the top of the grades this semester, you just don't think you can do it, to that person who, who, who is now, you, you have no idea, but this is the time that God is declaring that you can repurpose the love in your heart for that child, for that parent, for that partner, the word of the Lord to you today is, this is your moment. doesn't matter how many times you've fell and gotten up and fallen. and doesn't matter how terrible the, the journey has been. I told you last week, there is no failure in God, only growing moments. And all of the ups and down moments in your life, I believe, have brought you to this specific point right here so that this chapter announces through me the good news to you. Come on now. Come on and say it with me that with God, I can change. Say it with me. I can grow. Say it with me. I can be better. Again, this is your season. This is your moment. This is your hour. This is what I believe. It's not by accident. So how do I grab hold, engage with this change? 
And how do I go about assessing what level of change is happening in my life? Because here's the point that I want to suggest to you, that the change I'm suggesting that God is saying, you can change, you can grow, you can make it. Not some sense of perfection, but, but there can be a shift in your life, in your study habits. There can be a shift in your life. Come on now, in your, in your relationships. There can be a shift in your life that, that people who know you well will look at you and say, wow, you're different. That when you look at yourself, you'll say, I'm not perfect, it's not flawless, but I'm different. Yeah, this is your moment. This is your season. So how do we engage and then therefore measure the level of change that's happening in our lives? Because God, God's going to produce some change, but it, it happens on different levels. How, how, do we, how do we know what level the change is happening on? I want to suggest to you uh, what I want to call some change-oriented observations. If you're writing in the chat, just try, write it down. Change-oriented observations. All right. All right. I want you to know this, too. I'm only going to talk about uh, two today, change-oriented observations. I'm going to come back next week. You don't want to miss next week. You've got to be here for next week. I'm, going to, I'm just getting started with these two today. And I'm going to teach you four, can you say four? Four basic, very short, one-sentence prayers that I believe that if you pray, pray it sincerely and throughout the day as you move throughout the course of the week, it, it, it's going to allow God to unlock the change that he has decreed for your life in this season. All right? So let's get started. The first, uh, the first observation I want to suggest, number one, is simply this. It requires, as always, a shift in our mindset and how we think. It's a shift from what I want to call an undue focus to a redo focus. A shift from an undue focus to a redo focus. Now, uh, let me just explain what I mean by this, and I'm going to teach you the prayer. So often we're, get, we're looking at the past and we're looking at the mistakes that we've done, the sin that we've done, the wrong things that we've done in the past. And it fills us with a sense of shame and blame and personal condemnation. And we find ourselves stuck in that space saying, my gosh, I wish I could just undo it. Or might we say it this way, if I just could, if I could do it all over again. But of course, you can't. You can't undo it. But the teaching today is don't get stuck in the past. Let the past pass. Look towards the future. And here's what I want to suggest to you, that God will bring you. Uh, come on now. He will, he will return you back to those same decision points in your future. And you get to redo. You get to make those decisions in new context all over again. And so the challenge is, is for you to recognize the redo moments, shout redo moments, and choose wisely. Here's the prayer. Lord, teach me to recognize my redo moments and help me to choose wisely. I grew up in Cushada, Louisiana, as most of you know if you've been following me for a while. And during the summer times, I would leave my grandmother's house at about 9 a.m. and I'd go down and and I'd explore the riverbank for miles upon miles upon miles. I wouldn't come back. I'd leave at 9 a.m. in the morning. wouldn't come back till 8.30 and 9 p.m. at night. And on one occasion, I remember miles down from where uh, my grandmother lived, I decided to, 
to exit the riverbank and come up into the back part of what we call the lane, and, uh, which is a street where I could make my way home. And so I got ready to exit from the riverbank, and I came to this intersection, and one place looked familiar. The other path didn't look that familiar, and I thought I'd been that way before. And so I took this path thinking I'll find my way up into the lane and home. About 20 minutes later, I came right back to the same intersection. I said, ah, I know this is the right way to go. I must have just missed a different trail off of it. So I went back. 20 minutes later, came right back to the same intersection. I just couldn't believe that this was not the right trail. I looked at this trail over here. <laughs> Didn't look like it had been worn that very much. Ah, oh, that seems foreign to me. No, no, this is the one. So I went back again. I know I've got to find 20 minutes later. Right back at the same intersection. Finally, something said to me, uh, <laughs> you keep coming back to the same decision point. Maybe you ought to make a different decision. A different decision. To finally make a different decision, go the path that's not so well worn, and it ultimately brings me out. The reality is it didn't actually bring me out where I thought it was, but it brought me out to a place where I could find my way home. And what God is teaching some of us today is that, is that, is that, that we, we just keep, you know, <laughs> the, the, the trail that goes that way, it has an invisible sign over it. And the invisible sign says, reads, insanity. <laughs> and the trail that goes that way, it has an invisible sign over it. And the invisible sign reads, wisdom and success and prosperity. And, 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 and we just come to that same intersection. If we're not careful, we just keep going around. Coming back, going around, coming back to the same decision point, and we just keep choosing. I'm not calling you insane. I'm just saying what you're doing is insane. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Make it the same decision. Life is structured in such a way that God brings us back to the same decision point in the future. And we get to redo the previous decision in the future. See, so pray that God shows you those redo moments. Don't you see it in the text? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah finds himself in the midst of a horrendous storm there about, you know, and, and he's, he's, he's at this place where now he's got to make a decision. The storm is so horrible, the boat is pulling apart, and either he allows them to throw him over at his, at his uh, initiation, or everybody, these innocent passengers and sailors are going to drown. And I'm sure at that very moment, Jonah wished he could have undone, he could undo the decision that he made earlier to go in the opposite direction that God had called him to do, but he could not undo it. And so he says, throw me overboard. In chapter 2, John cries out and says, in the midst of his distress, he cries out to God. It's this, 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 this unbelievable, this indescribable big fish takes him down to the deepest part. He hits rock bottom. He feels trapped in what he calls forever. And I'm sure in that moment, as he's suffocating, trying to breathe, can't imagine his circumstances, he, he, he wished that, that, that he could undo the decision that brought him to that place, but he could not undo do it. And finally, the command is given, and he's, this, this, this fish spits him out on the shore. Jonah finds himself lying there, the sun baking him, and, 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 and the reality is now baked into, come on now, his psychology and his emotions is the trauma of the last three days. Can't undo it. 
Baked into his history is the drama of the last three days. It is now part of the record of his history. He cannot undo it. He leaves there feeling worn and hopeless. And then the text says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. <laughs> I love it. Get up, he says. Go to that great city of, and the, of Nineveh and deliver the message that I've given you to go. And then the text says about Jonah, this time, somebody shout this time. This time, Jonah obeys the command of the Lord and he goes to Jonah. Goes to Nineveh. As he lay there, when the Lord spoke to him the second time, Jonah recognized, wow, this is a redo moment. I've come right back to the same intersection, to the same decision point. Will I go, will I do what I did in chapter one? Or will I choose wisely? And go a different direction. Jonah chose wisely. What about you? I told you, God said providentially, this is your moment to change. You get this insight. You know, perhaps I'm talking to someone who's watching me right now. And, you know, you, uh, you moved your family all the way across the country. And, and eight months ago. You did the move, and now you realize that you left your nucleus family, and you're succeeding in your job, but your, your family, your home life is collapsing. You wish you could undo it, but you can't. And most recently, you've got another opportunity to get a, a, a promotion, and you're right back at the same decision point. What are you going to do? You know, perhaps this person who's looking at me, you know, you just opened your mail the other day and you got a credit card bill, thousands of dollars. You cannot remember what you spent the money on. You wish you could unspend, but you can't. And now, you know, you put yourself, hopefully, maybe you're on a budget and, and, you're, and, and you're walking through the store and suddenly you see a once-in-a-lifetime sale on some Curry fives. For those of you who are basketball fans, come on out. That's, that's Steph Curry's shoes. Um, or maybe you're not a basketball fan. You see a, a pair of pumps over there. And if, you, and, and if you got those pumps, they would go with three outfits in your closet. You're right back at the same decision point. What are you going to do? Maybe. 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 You know, three years ago, a flirtation turned into an unfaithful relationship destroyed your marriage. It's taken you three years to rebuild it. And now you've got trust there again. And all of a sudden, your inbox on your Facebook, your, your, your inbox rings, and you look, and it's that person just out of the blue, and you're right back at the same place, same decision point. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're that high school student. This is, this is your 10th grade year. This is the time to get it right. You've not gotten it right before. And you're right back at the same decision point. How much time are you going to study? TV, social media, or books? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Choose wisely. What does it mean to choose wisely? It means this. It means to 
pre-plan and pre-decide. It says, because here's, here's what I can tell you. Come on, uh, the, the text says, this time Jonah made the right decision. Uh, here's what I can promise you. There's a this time in your future. Come on, the, the opportunity will come a second time, a third time, a fourth time, and it will be produced in what, 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 what is best described as a this time moment. It's coming again. It's coming again. So you've got to pre-plan and then pre-decide. You've got to pre-plan that if you're offered a promotion, come on now, that for the next few years, I'm not taking any promotions. Uh, you've already pre-planned and pre-decided, I'm going to focus on family. You've got to pre-plan that if I'm walking to the store and I see a sale, I'm going the other way. I'm not even negotiating. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not even going to try the shoes on. I, 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 I've, I've already pre-decided. I've pre-planned. I've pre-decided. That if, if the if your mailbox goes off in your Facebook and you see it's that person you've already pre-planned and pre-decided, you're going to delete and keep moving and block. Delete and block and keep moving. You've already pre-decided as a 10th grader that from Monday to Friday, you're deciding that there's no TV during the week and no social media during the week. And you're going to put all that extra time into your studying. You've pre-planned and pre-decided. That's how you move from the bottom to the up. That's how you choose wisely. Wow. So that's number one. That's number one. Know the distinction between I can't undo some stuff, but I can, I'm going to always get a chance to redo it. God help me to recognize it and choose wisely. Number two, notice this. Change, changing my behavior is good. But having a transformed heart is far better. Can I just say it again? Changing my behavior, we see this in the text, I'll show it in a moment, is good. But having a transformed heart is far better. So here's the second prayer I want to teach you to pray. Lord, change my heart. It's a prayer I pray. It's a prayer I want to encourage that you should be praying. Lord, change my heart. All right, here's the text. Jonah shows up in Nineveh. He preaches the message that uh, he feels that God has given him to preach. Shock, surprisingly, stunningly, improbably, this wicked nation, Nineveh, we're shocked by what verse 5a says. Check what it says. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Wow. And they changed. All right, there's a couple of just little footnote points. Can somebody shout footnotes? Yeah, footnote points right here that I want to get. Jonah was a foreigner who came to preach to them. Jonah was a hater. He hated the Ninevites. And just to remind you who the Ninevites were, and he, perhaps he was even, some would say, justified in his hatred. These are the people who would break into your house and take your baby and slam him against the the, the, the wall and shatter their skulls. These are the people who will take your uncles and aunts and cousins and slice off their heads and hang their bodies out around the decorate the city as, a, as an act of war. These are people who would use rape as an act of war. They were genuinely wicked. And you would think they were even more wicked if, in fact, some of your own friends and family members got caught up in this mess. They were wicked. They were wicked. Jonah wanted to see them destroyed. He wanted to see him destroyed. And the text, the text says, wow, that even though he went with the wrong heart, and I'm sure he preached with vitriol, they believed God's message and changed. So here's a quick insight for you guys. Here's a quick insight. Don't you dare 
use an imperfect, broken preacher as an excuse for you to discredit the message of God. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Here's a prayer I want you to pray. Lord, enable me to hear and respond to your word when you speak to me. I know that there are a lot of imperfect. Listen, I say to our team here, listen, our task is to be standard bearers. I've said this to preachers for 30 years that I've had to train and develop. They said we shouldn't be held to high standard. Yes, we should. Right? We're extended barriers. That, that you, you should expect me not to be perfect, but to be credible. And that means if I mess up, you expect me to be honest. And there's some things you ought to be able to expect from me and from our pastoral team. You ought to be able to expect them. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to lie to you. Come on now. I'm not going to steal from you. You, you. you ought to be able to expect some of those standards. But here is the deal. Even if I lose my mind, don't you allow me losing my mind make you miss heaven. No, 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 no. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me to hear God's word and respond. And sometimes it comes to broken, imperfect preachers like Jonah. And sometimes it comes to your ex-spouse. And sometimes it comes to that child. Come on. And sometimes God just drops it into your spirit as you're reading scripture or as you're walking across the street. God, help me to hear and respond when your word shows up in my life. No excuses. That's his footnote, y'all. <laughs> Here's a deeper point. Watch the text. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, had done, they, how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented. Wow. This, what we're about to see now as we move towards the end of today's teaching, is a distinction in terms of levels of change. Jonah had one level of change, but the Ninevites had another level of change. And it's really quite remarkable because really Jonah, come on out, is the person of faith here. And whenever you read, for example, as you read through the multiple chapters, chapters of, of Jonah, of, uh, of the book of Jonah, whenever you see Jonah interacting with God, the name Lord, come on, is used. It, Jonah says to the Lord, the Lord says to Jonah, you're going to always see Lord Yahweh, because, because, because that relationship is defined by a personal relationship between God and Israel, God and Jonah. And whenever you see God interacting with the pagans in the story, the, the folk who are outside of the community of faith, the sailors or the Ninevites, you won't, they're not interacting with the name, the Lord, right? The, the, the other name for is you, you simply say God, G-O-D, the sovereign king. Same God, one is defined by relationship, and the other, I don't, I don't know you the way Jonah knows you. And yet, the transformation, the deeper change took place in the Ninevites, the folk who are outside the community of faith, come on, the folk who didn't know Torah, so they couldn't quote scripture, the folk who didn't show up for synagogue Sabbath service, so they didn't know about the praise songs to sing, uh, uh, you know, the folk who are doing all the horrible things outside, the transformation, once they heard the word of God, the deeper change took place in their lives, not in Jonah's life. Okay, let me, let me illustrate. When it says that they turned from their evil ways, if you get beneath the text, the suggestion is that their heart changed. 
that their value system changed. Come on now. That their vision, their perspective on life changed. The reason why they got up in the morning changed. The why changed. But when you look at Jonah, we're going to see it in just a moment. His why remained the same. It's just his what changed. What he did changed, but his heart remained the same. How he responded changed, but his heart never changed. Two different levels. Let's see it here. Watch this. Jonah, verse 1, chapter 4. God's change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. I just told you how horrible these Ninevite people were. And so he complained to the Lord about it. He said, did I say this before I left home that you would do this very thing, Lord, Yahweh? Come on. They, they know each other like that, right? Lord, Yahweh, this is why I ran away. Uh, this is why I ran away to, to Tarshish, he says. I, I knew that you are. This is what I know about you. You're merciful and a compassionate God. You're slow to angry, to angry, and you are filled. You're slow to get angry, and you're filled with an unfailing love. You can substitute the word unfailing with, with an unrelenting love. God, here's what I know about you. You are just eager to turn back from destroying people like the Ninevites who are wicked and they ought to be dis- destroyed. Come on now, God, I'm just, just kill me now, y'all, Yahweh. I'd rather be dead than alive. And, and, and if my, what I predicted does not happen, then watch you redeem these old, ick, these wicked people. You see, now we see his change. It was an authentic change. He, you know, his what changed, right? He, he, when he got up on it and God spoke to him a second time, and, and the text says this time Jonah did what God said do. He, he changed his what? He changed his direction. Come on now. He, he basically decided, you know, yeah, I, I, I see I can't outrun God. I better, I better work with him. Come on now. I, I, come on. I don't want to end up in a fish in the, o- in the ocean anymore. I, I, I better do what he asked me to do. Uh, the, the what changed? Come on. I, I'm so grateful that God delivered me. The least I can do is to do what he asked me to do. But his heart remained close to the people of Nineveh. His what changed, but his why stayed the same. You see, you see, you see, you see, there was change, but no transformation. Now change was good, but transformation is better. Change is good, but transformation is better. Remember what Jonah should have prayed. Well, we all have to find ourselves praying. God help me to love like you because I don't understand the way you love. I don't want to give Jonah a hard time. I'm going to tell you why. Because the way God loves confuses me sometimes too. I, I don't quite get it myself. I, I can't understand. I, I, I can't get it. I mean, I mean you know, the, the, uh, the Ninevites were terrorists. Powerful terrorists. I, I, I don't know how a God could unwaveringly love 
folk like the 9-11 terrorists. I, I, I can't comprehend that. I, I, I can't comprehend how God can love folk who drug my ancestors out of the house, set the houses on fire and raped them and killed them and hung them up and lynched them. I, I can't comprehend that kind of love. Come on. I can't comprehend how God can love a fellow who, uh, uh, who shoots his grandmother in, in, in Uvalde, uh, goes and, and, and shoots all those, t- those beautiful kids, just murder the kids and the parents. Come on, seemingly with no remorse. Man, that's kind of difficult. How do I, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around how, how is it possible for God to love people, come on, who make millions of dollars talking about the Columbine High School shooting and the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting never happened. I mean, I think that's like wicked. Come on, I, I can't comprehend that. The folk who threw six million Jews into, into, into ovens and baked and killed them. And, and, and yet this notion is that God, 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 un, God unwaveringly, unrelentingly loved them. I, I, I'm with Jonah. I don't quite get that. And, and I, I'm with Jonah. There's some people I don't like. There's some people who I think ought to be in jail. And there's some people who I think ought to be under the jail. That's what my grandma would say. I don't understand that kind of love. I, I just don't. But while I don't understand it, I benefit from it. I'm grateful for it because because I can think of some days. Come on now. In my yesteryears when I was insane and I thank God that that he loved me with that kind of insane ability to love the insane. If that was not so, I wouldn't be here teaching you today. Oh, I don't understand it, but I thank God because you know what? I benefit from it. My family benefits from it. I've got some folk who are doing some crazy stuff. Come on. i got some folk in my family and among my friends who, are, who, who do some embarrassing stuff. I've got some people who are like way out there, but I don't want God to wipe them out. I want God to unrelentingly love them and save them and never give up on them and deliver them, but I can't understand that kind of love, but I benefit from it. I depend upon it. I depend upon it. And so it was so for Jonah. So it was for Israel. Because at different points in their history, Israel did the same stuff that the Ninevites did. But God created opportunities to redeem. And he's not just the God of the folk in the church house. He's the God of everybody. Come on now. And he loves us all. Oh, my God. Let me see. Can I finish this thing here? Come on. And so that's why I pray genuinely. God. Help me to love like you love. That's why I challenge you to pray genuinely. God, help me to love like you love. Oh, this is the meaning of of John in chapter 15, that that sovereign God shows up in his son Jesus. This is what Paul writes about when he says, for God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, all categories, come on now, Christ died for us. This is what Jesus meant. Come on now. When he pulled his core disciples around him the night before he got ready to be crucified. And he said to them, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way. Talking to church folk now. In the same way. Talking to Jesus followers now. In the same way that I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, let me tell you how I'm going to love you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's 
friends. And what he's saying is, listen, guys, come on, you are my friends if you keep my commandment. Come on, I bring you into the context of my family. But listen, I'm going to die before, I'm going to die for you before you even know who I am. Come on now. And, and I'm going to die so that you will have an everlasting reminder of how much I love you. And the bottom line is, God dies for me. And come on now, and he died for you. Come on, he died for my friends, and he died for my enemies. Come on now, God dies for everybody. Can I say this? God dies for the gay, and he dies for the straight. He dies for the preacher, and he dies for the pimp. Come on, Jesus died for the nun, and he died for the stripper. Come on, Jesus died for the banker, and he died for the bank robber. He died for all of us because he loves us in a totally indescribable way. Can I tell you how much he loves you? Can I tell you? God loves you. His love for you is incomprehensible, is unimaginable, is inexplicable, is inexhaustible. Do you know how he loves you? It is amazing. It is astonishing. It is incredible. It is everlasting. It is unrelenting. That's what he does for you. He does how much. He loves you. And this does not mean he condones our behaviors and all of our behaviors and all of our decisions. Of course not. He was about to judge Nineveh for their behavior and for their decisions. But don't get it twisted. Even though he didn't condone, do you see how much he loved? He loved. Now, let me say one last thing and I'm finished. Nineveh understood power. They were, they were the central city of the most powerful country in the world. They understood power. But through the preaching of the word, they were introduced to the sovereign God and they discovered that there was a God, there was somebody higher than them that had a greater power and a greater purpose than them. And what we see when they, when they, when they, when they dressed up in sackcloth and they sat in ashes as a sign of repentance, come on now, that was their surrender. No guns were fired, no, no arrows, no bows, no cannons happened. Come on, when they were introduced to the real God who has the first and the last word, they surrendered. And so listen, I'm not describing a mushy kind of life. No, I'm describing a God who loves us and invites us, come on, into a surrendered relationship. And they surrendered to his authority. They didn't know him like Jonah did, but they surrendered to his wisdom. Come on now, they weren't as close as the Jews were. They surrendered, come on, to his mercy. They threw themselves upon his mercy. And watch this, come on now, while they didn't know him the way Jonah knew him, come on now, they trusted him better than and Jonah trusted him. Wow. So this is a God that says, I welcome you into my love, which means I want you to surrender to my authority, to my wisdom. And yes, throw yourself in what folk call mercies. I just call it my arms of unrelenting love and trust me. And guess what? God redeemed them. That's what he wanted to do in the first place. So here's my end. <laughs> Did you catch the full prayers? God, help me to discern my redo moments and choose wisely. God, change my heart. And as I talk to you about changing my heart, 
Help me to hear and respond to your message whenever it comes like this one. And then, of course, you know what I really want, God? I don't just want change. I want transformation. And I can't do it myself. There's no button I can push. I need you to supernaturally do something as you interact with me. Come on now. Change my heart so that I can love like you love. And somebody else listening to me, God, help me to accept how you love me and trust you and surrender. Amen and amen.